0: is from John chapter 8 early in the morning he came again to the temple all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst they said to him teacher this woman has been caught in the act of adultery now in the law Moses commanded us to stone such a woman so what do you say And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more.
1: Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, this life-giving word that you have given to us, and we trust that in these moments now that you will uh, take your word and and wed it together with uh, your Holy Spirit, um, so that as we uh, reflect upon and meditate upon your word, uh, that it will have an impact deep within us, and that we will be changed and transformed even more, that we will see um, the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would see Uh, the compelling nature of of the Lord Jesus and what he has done for us to to free us um, and that we might live in the assurance that we have no condemnation, that we are the accepted, beloved children of God. And so would you take your word, take these moments, and change us through them and by them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're uh, continuing in our our series, working our way through the gospel of of John. Uh, And today, as we've just seen, we hit uh, John 8. Uh, and if you do have a Bible with you or your device or um, you open your worship guide to, to page seven, it'd be a good day to, to follow along because this chapter has 59, it's 59 verses long and I'm not going to have time to cover uh, every single verse in the detail that we might like and so it'd be good for you to, to see where uh, we're, we're going in the narrative and how we're kind of uh, leaping our way through this passage And the the best summary of the context of this passage is the last verse. So we're going to start in verse 59, and then we're going to jump back to verse 2 and kind of skip our way back through to 59. So this is how this passage in John 8 ends. It says this, So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So the entire context of this passage is that somehow Jesus has caused these people, whoever they are, to get so angry with him that they want to pick up stones and throw them at him. So so that is the context here. Jesus has made them so angry that they would like to stone him to death. So the question is, first of all, who are the they? Yeah, well, the they in this passage is a group of people called the Pharisees, and if you've grown up in the church, you've probably uh, carried kind of a caricature of, of what a Pharisee is that you got from you know Sunday school or vacation Bible school and all that, and it's always that the Pharisees are these bad guys, and then there's Jesus, the good guy, and Jesus and the Pharisees are always at odds with one another, but we don't think any more deeply than that, right? so let's spend a moment thinking a little bit more deeply about who the Pharisees were and why it is that they could get so riled up that by the end of chapter 8, they want to throw rocks at Jesus. So the Pharisees were a group of lay people within Judaism. They weren't, so they weren't, they weren't priests, but they were, it was a lay movement that had this idea that every Jew should be a faithful follower of God's law that in the Old Testament there were 613 specific laws that were given for the Jews to obey, and they wanted to make sure that everyone honored those. And and they knew that if God commanded them, they were were a big deal, and so they wanted every Jew to be a faithful follower of them. And so in trying to create a system of strict obedience to the law, they, they were concerned that some people might accidentally break the law, or they may accidentally step too close to the point where they couldn't stop themselves and they would end up breaking the law. And so they developed a complex system of making sure that you didn't break the law. And so literally, you could come up with like any circumstance in your life. You know, any scenario, something that that, that you were going to face, and if you brought it to a Pharisee, he would tell you the complicated way that you could make sure that you were not only obeying the law, but that you were staying really far away from disobeying. And so they had this huge level of complexity that they had built, traditions, uh, cultural practices to help protect everybody from disobeying the law. The problem was is that they elevated the traditions and the cultural practices to the same authority as the law itself. And so they said, if you break these traditions, if you break these cultural practices that we have, it is as if you are breaking the law. The true way to be a Jew is to be a Jew like we're Jews. This is is the way to be a Jew. Now let's, let's stop there for a second. Because isn't this our default position? I mean, aren't we kind of like this as well? I mean, as, as the pastor here uh, at this church, I, along with our five ruling elders, we try to do our best in leading the church as, as, as best we can. And so we have developed, you know, practices and we have developed traditions. We have developed different cultural ideas for how we want to do things as a church because we think that they're the best way to do them, right? I mean, I mean we wouldn't pick them because we thought there were, you know, we, we think they're, they're, they're a worse way of doing it. So everyone in every church picks up what they want, you know, you know, the way that they want to do it. And it's easy for us to say, well, this is the best way. And this isn't just for pastors and elders, but for you all as well, right? So you go to a church, you, you, you like the church, whether that's Redeemer or some other church. Maybe you're visiting for the first time and you're thinking, I absolutely hate this church. Uh, the, the way you guys do things, this is terrible. You know I, I wish you were doing it like 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 we do it at my church, right? And so we all have this tendency to walk down this road and so we we paint the Pharisees in a bad light, but but they're coming from a very human place in what they're trying to do. And so what do they do here in John 8? Well, they kind of set up a trap. They they a test for Jesus to see if Jesus agrees with them. That's the beginning of John 8 the verses we we, we heard read, and it starts this way. Jesus gets up early one morning, and at dawn, he makes his way over to the temple. And he gets to the temple, and he finds a, a spot to sit, because a, a teacher, a, a rabbi, would sit and teach. He would, he would, would grab a, a scroll and unroll it and begin to, to teach, and, and, and there are always the people you, you know, that come early, and they all sit in the front row, and then there's the people that, that are kind of hovering in the back. Uh, and over the course of the morning, as the day progressed, people would begin to gather and the crowd would grow as people would listen to the teacher. And so Jesus sat there as the people all gathered around. And then at some point, there's a rutkiss kind of uh, at the back of the crowd. There's, there, there, there's a noise and you can kind of see this group of people pushing through everyone else. And it's, and it's, and it's, and it's a bunch of Pharisees and they're dragging someone with them. And as, as they get closer, it becomes apparent that they're dragging a woman with them. And this woman has tear stains running down her cheeks. She's humiliated with shame as she's trying to, you know, almost cover herself up as she's death, tries unsuccessfully to protect herself from being publicly exposed. And they force her to stand in front of Jesus. And, and then they say to Jesus, teacher. Which, by the way, I think is probably sarcastic. Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? And you see how they've, they've set this thing up. They they They've set it up to see whether Jesus would agree with them or not. Now, how do we know it's a setup? Well, a number of things, I think. First of all, the, the law clearly states that if you were to accuse someone of something like this, uh, you had to have two witnesses that had identical testimony. What, I mean, what are the odds of, of getting two witnesses to actually catch someone in the act of adultery? What are the odds of that actually happening? So, first of all, there's, there's just that. And then, second of all, where's the guy? Why is there not a guy here? This is is what the law says, Leviticus 20. It says, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall shall be put to death. That's the letter of the law. So where's the guy? Well, I think the guy was in on it. They were actually willing to compel someone else to sin in order to catch her, in order to shame her. They, They didn't care about her. They didn't even care if she died so long as they could set a trap for Jesus in this thing. And so they bring her before Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Well, Jesus, it's really strange. He says he just gets down on his knees and he starts writing in the dirt with his finger. Now, John doesn't tell us what he writes, just that he writes. And there are a lot of theories about what it is that Jesus might have been doing in the dirt. This is my theory. I think he wrote the word adultery. Because they're confronting him about it. They're they're, they're pestering him and saying, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And Jesus essentially says, after doodling for a while, all right, kill her. Now, he didn't actually say it that way, but let me read it. He's essentially saying that, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. We've all heard that phrase, right? Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. So Jesus basically is saying, go for it. And the first person to throw a rock, just make sure that you're somebody who's never sinned at all. And then Jesus gets back on his knees, and he starts writing in the dirt again. What's he writing? Again, John doesn't tell us. This is what I think. I think he starts writing the rest of the law in the dirt. All of it. Murder. Lying. And I like to think that Jesus made eye contact after he wrote each one. Disobedience to parents. And he works all the way through the law. Why? Well, because any Jew that understood the law understood, yes, there, there, there are, there, there's a severe penalty for the law which is why the people would be bringing animal sacrifices to deal with it they knew that everybody sinned everybody broke the law and so as jesus doodles this in the dirt it says this it 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 says when they heard it they went away one by one beginning with the older ones and jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him so they all laughed now what why did the older ones leave first? Well, those of us who are older, we know why, don't we? Because we've got a whole lifetime of lawbreaking behind us. Pretty quickly, we find ourselves written in the dirt. The older we get, the more we, the more we are aware of our sin. And the younger Pharisees are like, well, I've got my stuff together, right? And so they wait a while until they finally hit one that they're convicted about. And, and then they, too, leave. And Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Now don't miss this. The one person who did not leave is the one person who could condemn her. The one who could pick up the first stone was the one who had never sinned, who had never broken the law. Jesus could have picked up that first stone. He could have done that at, 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 in faithful obedience to the consequences of her breaking the law. But he says to her, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Now, that had to be simultaneously the most freeing thing that she had ever heard and the most difficult thing she had ever heard. Neither do I condemn you. From now on, go and sin no more. We love the first part, and we hate the second part. Why? Well, because the whole reason we're sinning is because we like this stuff, right? Right? We like doing it. So we love the fact that Jesus says, you're not condemned for this. And then we don't, love, we don't like the fact that he says, and now I want you to stop doing this. I want you to think for a second. Think of your most secret sin. Maybe it was decades ago. Maybe it's going on right now. You got it? And now I want you to imagine being caught in the act. And I want you to imagine that the person who caught you in the act pulls out their phone and snaps a picture of it and uploads it to Instagram. And it goes viral. And everyone starts commenting about your sin and this scenario is not that far-fetched. This kind of thing happens all the time where someone's sin becomes public because, uh, you know, whatever position they're in and it goes viral either on social media or news outlets pick it up and their sin becomes public. Everyone sees their sin. This, this kind of thing happens. What, what happens if it happens to you? And then Jesus jumps on there. And he starts direct messaging everyone in Instagram pictures of their sin. And then one by one, they start defriending you until Jesus shoots you messages message and says, we are all your followers? I'm your only Instagram friend left. Who is here to condemn you? And you'd say, no one. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. But from now on, Go and sin no more. It's freeing, right? Salvation is absolutely freeing like that. And it's very real, and it's very secure, and it is very eternal, as as it says in in Romans 8.1, which we just affirmed. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you have placed your faith in Jesus, he takes that condemnation onto himself. He takes all of your sin and places it all onto himself so that there is literally no condemnation left. We 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 so often feel condemnation. That's why we remain secret with our sin. We don't want anyone to know about it because we feel so condemned. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, where are your accusers? Do they condemn you? Neither do I. And Jesus says, And and then he says, but, well, no, not not but, but he says, and from now on, go and sin no more. And then we're like, oh, that's hard. But Jesus doesn't leave us alone. In the next 19 verses, which, by the way, I encourage you to, 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 to read on your own, study them with your community group, Jesus essentially recaps the last seven chapters. So if you've been with us this whole series, you could have skipped it all because this week we're going to cover it all. Uh, he says a whole bunch of things that we've already uh, heard. Things like uh, verse, verse, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's John 1. Verse 14, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or, uh, come from or where I'm going. We covered that a, a couple of months ago. 18, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. That's been practically every week of the series. Uh, Twenty-one. I'm going away, and, and and you will seek me, and you will and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. That was that was last week. Twenty-four. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. In verse twenty-eight, when you have lifted up the Son of Man again, we saw this a few months ago. Then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of my own authority, but just but speak just as the Father taught me. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, I am the only one with the authority to say this to you. You are not condemned. Neither do I condemn you. And go and from now on sin no more. Because Jesus came from God the Father, because He is the light, because He is the sacrifice, because He does the will of God, all of these things uniquely position Him as the only one who can say this to you, you are not condemned, period. Just let that settle in. And, let me say it a different way, you can live a new life you are not chained to your sin anymore. You're not chained to your guilt anymore. You're not chained to your shame anymore. Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Jesus, the only one who can, who can condemn you, does not. See, sometimes we don't want to come to Jesus Maybe we don't want to go to, to church, we don't want to confess our sins to others because we are ashamed of that sin and we hold, and we hold it in and we, and we feel like we're still condemned, right? And so what happens is that someone will you know, stand up here and preach a passage of Scripture and it will call something in our life out, right? And so, so it calls out something that we like to do, sin, the way we live our life as, as sin, the way we feel like we should live our life as sin. And so what do we do? Well, one of our our reactions is, well, I guess I don't belong in this church. But let me say this to you. You do belong in this church. Because every one of us has a week that we show up and one of these things in our life is called out. Jesus is going to call out our. He's going to call our sin, sin, whether we agree with agree it's sin or not. This is a place for sinners. Sinners like 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 you. Sinners like me. We come to Jesus because we have messed up. We come to Jesus because we have we have sinned. We come to Jesus because we can't stop sinning. We come to Jesus because we don't see sin in our life that that he things that he calls sin. And so Jesus says to us in our sin, He says, "I do not condemn you." And you can change. You can live a new life. Listen to this, verse verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved by anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? So they're confused about this whole thing. What Jesus is essentially saying is, that here is the key to dealing with the sin in your life. And it is to abide in my, what does he say? My word. Now what does abide mean? It means you live somewhere, right? Like you abide in your house. You abide in, 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 in your apartment. You abide in your parents' basement, right? That, that's what abide means. So what is he saying? Abide in my word. Live there. Live there in the truth. Live there. Grasp it. Grab it. Hold it. And as you do that, you begin to see, this really is the truth. And as you begin to grab that truth, that truth begins to set you free. And Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, is, the embodied, is embodied in that word, and he sets you free. And where the Jews kept getting wrapped around the axle is they, they were thinking back to when they were in Egypt. See, way back uh, when, when they were in Egypt, they were enslaved. And, and, and they're like, listen, we're children of Abraham. We're, we're the children, the chosen people of God that God saved. And he rescued us from Egypt, and now we're not enslaved to anybody. And even though we're in this Roman Empire, and we live, we get the, we live as people. We live as our own people, free for within the Roman Empire. We're not enslaved. And Jesus says, I know. I'm talking about a different kind of slavery. Verse 34, Jesus answers, I'm truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave. To sin, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So, if the son has set you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. Let, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. So, since they brought up Abraham, Jesus goes—you know—all Abraham on them. He—he he, he goes old school. He goes all the way back to Genesis 21. And he hints at something here that they would have known. See, here's the story in in Genesis 21. This guy Abraham, the guy they keep bringing up, God had promised Abraham that he would have children and that he would have descendants that would outnumber the stars in the sky. And yet Abraham got old and his wife got old and they had no kids. And so they're like, well, we don't want God to be a liar. We should help him out. And so Sarah, Abraham's uh, wife gives Abraham her her servant and says, just sleep with her. And he does, and they conceive a child, and that child's name is Ishmael. And then God understandably gets all ticked off. God's like, you know, why did you take matters into you, to your own hand? I've got this. I'm actually God. And so then Sarah, in her old age, has a child, and, and that child's name is Isaac. And so now in their home, they've got two kids ishmael the the slave child and isaac the son what does sarah do she kicks this kid out and the jews took great pride that they were descended from this kid that that we are the free we are the proper descendants of abraham and so we are not enslaved and ishmael became this kind of picture of bondage and isaac became this picture of freedom. And by the way, Paul does a great job of unpacking all of this uh, in in Galatians 4 and 5, if you want to look that up later. But but, but they had great pride in the fact that, that they were from this side, that they were free. And Jesus says, you don't even understand freedom. You are still enslaved. Because all who practice sin, who continue in sin, they're enslaved. And we know that, don't we? That secret sin, you feel free there? Even the memory of our sins sometimes enslaves us and chains us up. And so Jesus is, is trying to get at this with the Jews and they're missing it. And so they start to fight with him uh, more and more about Abraham and all that until finally it's clear that they're not getting it. And in verse 42, Jesus says to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of, the, of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? By the way, he's the only person who, who could say that line. Hey guys, point out my sin. If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. What does Jesus say? He's saying, guys, you don't believe me because you are not God's kids. That's a total slam to the Jews, right? Like, like that's that, like that's that, that's one of the the. The ultimate insults that you could have laid down, he could have laid down for him. He's like, You're not even God's children. And he goes, I can tell because you can't bear to hear the truth. That's intense, isn't it? What happens when we come across scripture that convicts us of our sin? Maybe it calls out our sexual sin or it calls out our gossip or it calls out our envy of someone else, or it calls out our disrespect for authority, or it calls out any number of things. What happens? Can we bear it? Or, or do we just say, well, I'm going to just wait until next week when we're talking about something else, right? Jesus says, man, you, when you do that, you're aligning yourself with the devil. That's a hard truth. The hard truth is that we prefer the lie when the lie lines up with how we want to live our lives. We prefer the lie when the lie justifies our behavior. And in those moments, it betrays our fatherhood. And the Pharisees just couldn't take this, and so they go back to, to, to old arguments. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus was neither. Neither neither a Samaritan didn't have a demon. He said, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do, who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. If you've been here every week in our series, you know that Jesus keeps keeps doubling down on this point. From the very beginning, he's like, yeah, I'm equal to God. Yeah, I'm equal to the Father. I do the Father's will. I only do what the Father tells me to do. And he, and he keeps just, just doubling down on this constantly, and he does it again here. He says, I am, the, I, I am from the Father. That makes me the authority, he's saying. Your, your, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. He's like, oh yeah, I know Abraham he saw me, he was thankful for me, he was looking forward to me, he knew the Messiah was coming, he knew I was on my way to the scene. And and so the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And now if you've been with us, you know what that means. I am is God's name. And what he just threw down on the table was, All right, I've seen Abraham. Before Abraham even existed, I existed. Not only did I exist, I existed because I am God. And what is their response? So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So here's the big question for us today. What are we going to do with Jesus? I mean, when Jesus calls out our sin, right? So, so he calls out a, a pattern of sin in our life, or a, a sin that is ongoing, or a sin that we've never really dealt with, what are we gonna do with him? Are we going to just say, well, I I I don't really need Jesus. I can clean my I can clean myself up on my own. I will handle this. I will, I will get this fixed, I can, I can clean myself out. Up, and then I'll engage in community. I will engage then in small group. I'll, I'll engage with other people once I've got myself fixed up because I don't want anyone to, to know what is going on. So I'm gonna clean myself up first. Or do we say, well, this thing that Jesus calls sin, I don't believe it's, it's actually a sin, so I don't have to listen. Or do we just ignore it and hope it will go away? Or do we pick up a stone and, Get ready to throw it at Jesus and say, I am bailing on this Christianity thing because I don't agree with that. What are we going to do? Well, here's what Jesus says to do. He says, abide in my word. What does that mean? Live in it. Look at that truth. And that truth will set you free. And so this is my challenge uh, to you. As painful as it is, when When you're tooling through the scriptures, and maybe it's when you're listening to preaching or you're reading it on your own, and you come across a verse, and you're like, oh man, this is so me. Like in an uncomfortable way. The sin that is just called out, totally my sin. Abide there. Live there. Grab it. Print it out, post it on a, you know, put it on a post-it note and stick it on your, on your dashboard. Laminate it and put it in your shower. I don't know, something. Do something with it. Abide in it. Live in it. And as uncomfortable as that makes you, live in that space of truth until that truth sets you free. Because that's what Jesus has done. You, you know what he says to you? He says, I don't condemn you. So, from now on, go and sin no more. And then you sin again. And what does he do? He loops back to the beginning and he says, Neither do I condemn you. From now on, go and sin no more. And then you sin again. See, in the Old Testament, in the law, they just had to keep sacrificing animals. But Jesus is our sacrifice. He has been condemned so that we don't have to be condemned. So, when we sin, we can brush ourselves off and go back to the beginning and be reminded that we are not condemned and that Jesus has promised that we can live a different life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank